The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, listeners, before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, special promotion for you. If you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratification of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports on OwnerBox. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through the first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $100. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $100 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things. December 15th right around the corner, so get your ratings and reviews in for the podcast to get entered to win the 10 days of Christmas. We'll have about 10 to ten giveaways or so as a thank you for you podcast listeners for all these years of uh, help on the Bench with Bubba podcast. So give a rate and review on iTunes. We much appreciated. If you cannot, subscribe to the YouTube channel and give a like there as well. That would help out a ton. Also, so we had some uh, technical difficulties with the internet throughout this podcast. I edited it the best I could, but there might be a few blips here and there. I truly apologize for that. The content is great. David Mendelson was awesome. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. With all that being said, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 327. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 327. Got a special guest to the show, first time on the show. I've been on this gentleman's show a couple times. I know I will not do the introduction as much credit as he does because he brings just the thunder with his introductions from all over the globe. It's just amazing. It feels like you're at a Chicago Bulls game in the, in the 90s with what goes on there. He's the host of Triple Play Fantasy. You can see him uh, writing some work over at Fantrax HQ. 
He's on Twitter at dmindy02. David Mendelson, how we doing, man? I don't know what you're talking about, man. That intro is pretty fire to me. I uh, love it. Really happy to be on with you, my friend. Super pumped to be doing this show tonight. Um, on the podcast version, I know it's right after the Metallica song, so <laughs> get, that gets me super amped up and yep. ready to talk some baseball tonight. Yep, no, that's the whole point. I, that was one of my go-tos before any game I played. In, in the, the old-school iPod, for those that might remember what those were, that was uh, in the rotation. A lot of Metallica and San, Sanitarium was my go-to to get you going. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. We actually have some hot stove news to talk about, which is crazy because it seemed like things were going to drag on and drag on. But we have a few bits to talk about there and about eight or so players that you've written about this offseason that are names that a lot of people are asking questions about. So it'll be fun to kind of uh, dig into them a little bit more as you have some more experience. Like That's one reason I've I, I mentioned a while back that I started writing more this past year is because as much as my writing probably is not great, I better, I'm a better talker than writer. Um, you get to learn more about stuff that you don't see just by digging in and just like opening a few more clicks on the internet, stuff like that. You see things that help a lot. So did I miss anything that you're doing? Cause I know you've got some new announcements this past week. I'll let you go there with that. Uh, you got other stuff going on. No, I mean, you hit a lot of them. The only other thing was we just kind of unleashed our uh, swag store, our merch, the triple play stuff. We've got socks, we've got hoodies, we've got long sleeve tees. We've got some onesies for the little ones we got, uh, I mean, leggings, anything you can think of. We just we uh, we unleashed at our uh, merch store. You can check out that. That's uh, pinned on my uh, Twitter page if you want to check that out. But you hit everything otherwise, just doing the show and uh, just pumping out some articles for Fantrax HQ. Now, do, um, do you have a coffee cup so Mr. Michael Simeone can keep his collection going strong? Yes, that's okay. a good point. We, that was one of the first things I made sure I had because <laughs> he, he said, the moment you get one, let me know. That's amazing. I love coffee. I drink coffee every day. I have my work cup I put in to go to the truck every day and stuff. I um, I I really don't. uh, I don't think I have more than like two or three coffee cups. I actually use at the house, and he's just got like a slew of them. And I respect the game in a big way. It's it's impressive. And then it's 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 crazy in a good way. Like you guys have the merch coming out. Dave Dave McDonald's on the road to Source guys got theirs coming out. People are putting like in this league's always had stuff out. I've always give Bogman and the Welsh a hard time on that just for fun. I've never done it because I've, I've always wondered would people actually want to wear my name or face on their body? But um, now it's like you guys have a good logo, so it makes sense. Like it doesn't have a name or a face to it, so I have to find something where it's like BWB or something. So it doesn't just like Bubba on them, and it doesn't have like a big bald face on it and stuff like that. So I got to get creative with it. I don't know, man. If you put you put your merch out there with your face on, I'll still wear it for you. You have one customer right here. Oh, that's crazy. That's good stuff. But uh, let's get at it. Let's talk about it. Over the last couple of days, winter meetings are going on. Virtual winter meetings are going on. The White Sox have made a few splashes. First off, they've got a number two to go behind Lucas Giolito now and acquiring Lance Lynn from the Texas Rangers. Very team-friendly deal uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. Like a workhorse pitcher. And they got Dane Dunning and a few other prospects in a ton of innings up. Who knows? Uh, he's going to be the number two. What's your thoughts on him fantasy wise? He's a number, he's a top 20 pitcher according to most people these days. Yeah. I mean, great move from both sides. The white Sox are win now mode. Uh, they're dealing from a position of strength and you're getting a guy that finished fifth and sixth in AL Cy Young voting each of the last two seasons. And over that same time span, he's fifth in all of baseball in both strikeouts and war according to fan graphs. So, I mean, this is White Sox are built to win now, and, and I like this move for them. He's going to eat innings for them. He's going to give them K's. He's going to 
uh, I think overall just boost him. The fact that he's going to be up at the top of the rotation, I think less pressure on the younger guys at the back end of the rotation. So I, I like the move a lot for the White Sox. Yeah, he's currently the 24th pitcher off the board. I guess if you throw a couple closers in there, he's probably closer to 20 uh, in the NFPC draft champions over the last month. I think it's a great move. Like I know you said it, I say it, is the innings eater thing should not go overlooked on a team like the White Sox. You have Gilito, for the most part, he's good for six or seven. Keiko eats up a ton of innings. Lenny eats up a ton of innings. So then when you have Cease and Kopech in your rotation, who probably won't go deep into games, it helps that bullpen out a ton going into the regular season. I think it's... A no-brainer, great move for them. Uh, Fantasy-wise, I think it's it's a bump a, a bit. You know, Seattle's not a, a world beater, but Anaheim's going to be better. Houston's going to be better, too. Last year, I think it was fluky. The A's are always interesting. Now you get to face the Tigers and the Royals, who are better. We'll get to them, but still, it's the Royals. Uh, and then you have the Indians, who are good. But overall, a strong move there. Now, on the flip side, I think it's a sneaky, nice move for the Rangers. They go and get Dane Dunning. Uh, in return, along with another prospect. But Dunning's the main piece, a, a piece that came from Washington. In a, we'll talk Adam Eaton in a bit. And he, he made his debut last year and looked pretty strong. Um, when it comes to NFBC ADP, though, Dunning was going around pick 300, give or take. Do you like him going to Texas, potentially getting every uh, every fifth day starts? Do you think he's got fantasy relevance this year? What's your thoughts on Dunning? So I have to first start this with a little story, a confession, if you will, because my alter ego uh, for a while, and, and my brother, the doc, knows this. I, I'm, I'm a phys ed teacher. Wait and, a minute. Wait a minute. So I've been on your show twice. Doc's your brother? Oh, yeah. Did you not know that? <laughs> God, I feel like an idiot. No, I, I guess no there's idea. another confession here, too. Tell me Cheese is like your cousin or something. He was. He's uh, married to my cousin. <laughs> Oh, this, this is, is all awesome. everything's out now. It's all dirty laundry's oh, out now. This is outstanding. Okay, sorry. Continue. I like I yeah. sat back on all. Did you just say what I thought you said? This is great. But continue. Well, that's why I pick on him all the time. Oh, it makes so much more sense now. <laughs> and the way you guys can talk to each other, it's like a family dinner. I got it. Good. Oh yeah. But um, so he knows that I was trying to make sure my students couldn't find me on Instagram. So this was a couple of years ago when Dane Dunning wasn't as big a name. And so my alternate ego was Dane Dunning. And I put that as my Instagram, my Instagram name. Oh, that's so great. He always has a special place in my heart. But, um, but I love this move, actually. Dane Dunning, uh, he was great against right-handed hit, uh, hitters last year. He needs to improve against left-handed hitters as his splits were pretty drastic between the two. One of the things I think he can do is if he improves his changeup, as it shown, us can be a very effective pitch against left-handed hitters since he's a right-handed pitcher. Um, I think it's going to be huge for him. It vastly trails his breaking ball. I mean, his his uh, slider is ridiculous at a 43.5% whiff rate to it. And I just think he has to go into it. He knows he's going to be getting the ball, like you said, every fifth day. It's not kind of like, hey, am I going to be up and down? I think the Rangers will give him a shot. They have to work with him to admit, to keep that same approach versus right-handed pitchers heavy sinker and heavy slider, which is the approach he went this past year, and use that new approach versus lefties. And I think he's going to have a chance to be very fantasy relevant and uh, outperform that 380 he's currently at. Yeah, I'll, I'll be targeting him in best balls and uh, early drafts right now. His, his ADP is going to go up, like you were saying. He's gone as high as 256 over the last month. I look forward to seeing, you know, come January 1st, what's what's the month of December looked like, basically, since a month of trade acquisitions gone in there because – the fifth day thing is going to be huge. You look at the, the Rangers rotation right now. It's Kyle Gibson, Jordan Lyles, Dunning, 
Colby Allard and Kyle Cody. Like, there's no one pushing him out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. Even if he struggles, he's pitching. They're going to get the innings out of him. It might not be, you know, seven innings every time, but he's going to get the ball every fifth day, maybe a sixth day here and there to kind of to baby him a little bit. But they want to get that innings count up as he's 26 years old. Um, you mentioned that the change up the pitch mix can be huge. We see that as guys get older. I remember when the deal got made for Adam Eaton, it was the um, it was it was it was Ronaldo, um, Gilito, and Dunning, and I was mm-hmm. most excited about Dunning. Like I was like Gilito's obviously turned into a beast now, but that was sketchy for a while there too, mm-hmm. and that's turned out really well. I loved Dunning. I had him in a ton of dynasty leagues. You look at his minor leagues numbers, a lot of over ten K per nines. The the ratios were great, and he carried that over last year. Like it looked kind of rocky at times, but in the end, like you mentioned, he pitched really well. So I think it's a good move for him. Um, Texas is now more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, which is a nice move also. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I will have some uh, Dunning shares for sure uh, as we go on this season. He was a DFS staple for you too. I remember watching oh, yeah. your DFS shows, always talking up Dane Dunning. So I know you've too been cheap. a big fan. Too cheap. Like I, That's one thing I, I loved about last year. It felt like on the shortened season that the, the the fantasy sites got a little lazy with their pricing on like the kids getting called up because a lot of kids got called up last year, way more than usual. And it felt like they just got lazy. It's like even six though forever after like three good starts, he was still like six K. It was like, you know, you can bump him a little. McKenzie was the only one that got any love. It felt like that was mm-hmm. the only guy that moved up, but uh, yeah, Dunning big, big fan. And if they keep him cheap next year, I'll use him a lot again next year. So that'll, that'll, <laughs> that'll definitely happen. Uh, the other move the White Sox made is they signed Adam Eaton to a one-year deal with an option for a second season. And it's an interesting move because the um, South side, they're not the biggest fans of Adam Eaton from previous uh, encounters there. He's got a bit of a, an attitude, one would say. That's a nice way to put it for the podcast. But um, when it comes down to it, he's an OBP machine. He gets mm-hmm. on base, he gets things done, little pop, little speed. Um, what's your thoughts? We'll start, we'll start with this. Just what's your thoughts on Eaton in Chicago in a very potent, potent lineup? I mean, you have to think he's going to probably hit at the top of the order. I would think that's where he's strongest. I'm interested because I know they had floated the idea of Madrigal being up there. You know, you've got your middle of the lineup thump already set in place. When he's healthy, he produces, and there's no doubt about it. It's just health is always the biggest question with him. I, I live in the Baltimore area, but I Nats games are televised here, so I'm able to watch a lot of Nats games too. And, I mean, he's he takes pitches. He allows people behind him to be able to kind of see what the other pitcher's offering. Uh, just by the amount of pitches he sees per plate appearance. So he's the type of guy that's going to do a lot of the little things. He's also a, a, an older guy, so he's going to be able to kind of help mentor the younger guys a little bit and kind of get them acclimated with some things. I, I don't see a, a, a real downside for this move in the sense he's already been there um, and then that clubhouse before. So I, I think this is a, another sneaky good move for the White Sox. And another guy, ADP of 387, like that is ridiculously cheap. Like I was targeting him already thinking, okay, he'll find a team somewhere. I don't even care if he bats at the bottom of the order at that point in the draft. He'll still be productive enough in a best ball format or whatever we're drafting right now. Uh, I was intrigued there. That price tag is going to go up, obviously. Now, you mentioned the top of the order, and I think you're right, like especially with Tony LaRusso there, old school guy, mm-hmm. you know, OBP guy. We're going to the top of Tim Anderson. I think Madrigal obviously goes back to the back of the order. I think that's that's happening for sure. The part where it bugs me, and Toby and I talked about this in our third base preview, because I am a huge Yohan Moncada fan this year. And I want Yohan Moncada to hit at the top of the order with Anderson and, and, you know, all those guys. Maybe they move Grandal down and put Moncada third and Excel, Abreu, Jimenez, Lubob, whatever. There's lots of options. That's an embarrassment of riches of young talent there. But do you – I want your opinion on this. If Yohan Moncada is not hitting at the top of the order, 
How do you feel about Yohan Moncada this season batting maybe sixth or seventh? That's tough. I, I again, I and I agree with what you've said before in the past of how you know he had the COVID struggles and he said that his body felt completely different. So I don't think we can look at his 2020 sample as what he really can do. We have to look more towards his 2019 sample. And he's the type of guy that I think you got to give him more plate appearances, especially I think he's he's shown he's a streaky player. And if you put him at the back end, he doesn't see quite as many, uh, he doesn't get as many at bats. I think he's going to struggle a bit more. I personally like him a little bit more at the top of the order. And I think if you put him at the back end, I don't see him having the same type of production. So if they put him in the back end, I'm not going to discount him a, a ton. I'm not going to drop him too far from where I would rank him, but it definitely not quite as high as I would if he was at the top. Yeah, no, it's it was one of the kind of heartbreakers of that deal for me. Like I love Eaton from a baseball standpoint with the White Sox. It makes too much sense. You, and even you mentioned the, the clubhouse nature of a veteran goes a long ways because – what I like about that team was it's a very – there's a lot of young Latin players, so I've always liked Abreu being there. I've always said mm-hmm. when he was a free agent, I'm like, they're going to bring him back because they need that father figure in the clubhouse. That Back to what I was saying about um, Abreu being there, I think the Eaton part helps out a ton to help with uh, the other youths on the team, very young young team. So we'll see how that works out. I'm just curious to see how wonderful Tom, uh, La Russa screws everything up because I think that's one of the worst times on the planet, but we won't go there again. All right. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, they've made a splash because they've had a lot of issues in the back end of the bullpen in recent years. That's been a massive problem with them, Hansel Robles last year and others. So they went out and traded for Jose Iglesias of the Cincinnati Reds. Or no, Rossiel Iglesias. We'll get to Jose Iglesias. Rossiel Iglesias of the Cincinnati Reds. And that surprised me because it meant the Reds are kind of thrown in the towel after letting Archie Bradley go too. So that's kind of disappointing. But we'll start from the Angels side of this. Rossiel going to Anaheim. Does that like up his value for you? Does it not do much? What's your thoughts on that move? I mean, what have you done for me lately in the Angels bullpen? There's not anybody there that deserves the job, at least. I mean, you look at uh, Mike Mayers, I think that's his name, but uh, kind of just a little bit of work he saw at the end of last season. Rasiel Iglesias, which you look at him and you're like, okay, like maybe he had a down year or whatever, but if you look at his stat cast page, uh, I need a pair of Shady Rays, our new sponsor on our show, to look at his page because it's he's got a 250 XCRA, a .91 WHIP, had a 212 or lower XBA on all four of his offerings. I love this stable, stabilizing back end of the bullpen for the Angels, which they have not had in quite some time. And I think the change of scenery is always good. So I, I will love this move for the Angels. I think it's shoring up an area that they've desperately needed for a long time. Yeah, I love the move. I think Iglesias doesn't get the love he should get for what he does. I've always enjoyed grabbing him in drafts. Massive strikeout guy. One bad year in 2019 where the ratios really stung at 416 ERA, but even the exit was 372 that year, so he he was a little unlucky. But other than that, an ERA in the twos pretty much every season. He was getting you 25-plus saves every year. The dude's a beast. I've always loved Iglesias. Um, I'll jump right back on that wagon Mm -hmm. going into this year. I'm with you 100%. Now, on the flip side, you look at Cincinnati. I, I mentioned that Archie Bradley left, too. You have Amir Garrett, who's been awesome out of the pen. You got Lucas Sims, who's been really good. They could go out and get guys also. What are you doing? Like, if you're drafting right now, where are you going for saves in Cincinnati? I've been hearing the whispers just from a few people that it looks like it's Lucas Sims' job. But, again, I don't know how reliable that necessarily is. I mean, if you're in a situation where you can grab both of them and – 
just kind of whichever one ends up playing out you use, then I'd say go ahead and do that if you're trying to kind of shore up that closer's job. Cincinnati has a good offense, so they should have a chance to be able to uh, have some safe situations available for them. But uh, that honestly, that's it's hard to pick between the two, uh, Amir Garrett and him both. I think I don't remember if it was on your show or someone else's show. They they said they pretty much had the exact same uh, statistics down to their whip and their like XERA or something like that. They were literally like point one difference between them. So right now it seems more like a a, a pick them honestly. It, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's even like a platoon. Like they just, mm-hmm. you know, lefty righty situation, go from there. Both very talented. It just might be what, like a, it might be a Tampa Bay Ray situation. In oh my goodness. So, that would be such a tragedy. <laughs> yeah. So much fun makes us, us fantasy owners have. And then, you know, on our shows each week, we get questions on what to do. And it's usually the wrong answer because that week was different. So that's always mm-hmm. fun. But uh, another move the Angels made, and this, I'm, I'm liking what they're doing because they're not spending a lot of money. But they're shoring up a lineup that we've been begging them to do to maybe get Mike Trout in the postseason. That'd be really nice. Like they went out and signed Anthony Rendon. You have David Fletcher's playing well. Jared Walsh came up last year. Maybe he keeps it going. You got Otani. Upton can't be that bad again, right? You got Joe Adele going. But they went out and got Jose Iglesias, which I think is very interesting. Anderson Simmons, he's done. He's out of town, free agent. You go and get Iglesias, who's never been super flashy, but always a pretty good batting average asset. And he had a monster season for the Orioles last year. Do I expect it to re, you know, happen again? Probably not. But what's your takes on uh, Iglesias? Does he come a guy at a super deep shortstop position that uh, has your attention maybe in later rounds? Or is he just a, just a guy? I actually just drafted him in our best ball league not uh, like 30 minutes ago. He, uh, I love this move again for the Angels. They got both Iglesias's, both great moves. He's a machine. So underrated. He ranked in the top 1% in XBA in the top 2% in K percentage last year. Contact machine, puts the bat on the ball, uh, and plays elite defense. You know he's going to be in the lineup based just for the fact of his defense. But the one thing that I'm really interested about this move for the Angels is between him, Trout, Rendon, and Fletcher, you have two or you have four of the top guys that are in the contact percentage and guys that are going to put the ball into play. It's going to make so make it so hard for other pitchers to strike out those guys because I mean, they're putting the ball in play. It's going to help if obviously they have a guy on third for sack flies. They have a guy in scoring position and someone makes an error. you got to put the ball in play if you want to succeed. And they have half their lineup doing that. So I I love that move for the Angels. And they're going to have a really tough lineup to get out. Yeah, I love it too. I'm a big fan of that. Like you mentioned, putting the ball in play. Give me a chance to get production from you. If you don't put the ball in play, obviously you can't. It's easy common sense stuff. But a lot of guys in the era of baseball we live in now, aren't very good at that. So I think it's a great move. Also, if you play in DFS next year, mm. might be a night not to attack the angels. Cause they already didn't strike out a lot as it is. Now you got another weapon in the lineup. So that's another thing to consider. So we're talking white Sox, We've talked to angels. This is a fun podcast. And now we're talking <laughs> Royals folks. Like this is the teams that need to build are building. And I like it cause they're doing it early when it's affordable. They're not mm-hmm. doing it when it's crazy later. Like some teams wait until the real mutos and stuff goes so they can see where the market's at. These guys are jumping early. Maybe they overpay a little bit, but in the end, they're getting quality players. And the Royals go and pick up Mike Miner on a two-year deal, very friendly, like thirteen million guaranteed. It might even been a one-year deal. Like it's a, it was a two-year deal, eighteen million guaranteed with an option for twenty twenty-three. So it could be a three-year deal, depending on what he does. Slides into a, a sneaky, interesting rotation. I'm not going to say a great rotation at all, but you know, Duffy has his moments from time to time. Brad Keller had his moments last year, like really good at times. You have young Brady Singer. You have young Chris Bubick, who at times 
were really strong. Then you insert Mike Miner in there, similar to Lynn, an innings eater. He's had his ups, he's had his downs. But overall, fantasy-wise, when you look at the, the, the line at the end of the season, he's been a roto asset. So what's your take on Mike Miner now going to Kansas City, a pitcher-friendly Coffin Stadium? Yeah, like you said, I mean, he's just going to be an innings either stabilizing that rotation. I mean, they didn't have a, a, a ton of, of wealth of pitching options going into this year. They have some young guys, but he fits kind of into that, again, guy that's going to give you innings. He's going to have some occasional good starts. If you look, I mean, he has a great fastball spin rate. His exit velocity was pretty decent last year. He's going to get you some Ks. Did give up some hard hit balls and some barrels, but this is a guy that like you've talked about best ball multiple times. And I, I know that it's been talked about on your show. Uh, he's a great guy to get at the end of your drafts. If you know, he's going to have that occasional good start. And I don't know if he recaptures the magic he had a couple years ago with Texas, but um, again, he could do a lot worse than where he is. I don't know where quite he is at NFBC ADP, but he uh, he's not a guy that's going to cost you a lot. He's the 133rd pitcher off the board, pick 345. So, I mean, he's, yeah, I'm happy to take him there. I don't think that's that's ridiculous value from it all. I, I I will happily take the chance on Mike Miner at that price. Yeah, and that's kind of where I am. Like, I've always kind of been hesitant on him, and then I know like Matt Modica and other guys keep tweeting out stuff on Miner, and I'm always hesitant. But then like you you dig in, and last year was a little rough, ERA almost six, which obviously is not good. But mm-hmm. all the previous seasons, he's just been a steady Eddie, and he has it seems like he has like a month stretch where he just destroys everything. And he makes like an amazing season turn into a, an okay season. And it's just kind of, do you maybe send him a couple starts here and there at best balls. Great. Cause they just don't use those. Leagues. Like it's perfect. Um, and, and that's, that's the beauty of it. So that they sure up the rotation the best way they can without breaking the bank, which is great. And then they go and get a bat, which I liked the move a lot. Is it, is it a sexy move? No. Um, people will point to last season with Carlos Santana, sub 200, uh, batting average. That's miserable. Uh, but he's an OBP machine. Like I, I read a stat on last night's podcast that Royals, the the SB Nation Royals site mentioned, he hit below the Mendoza line, but still had the high, the only player on the Royals last season that had a higher OBP than Santana was Salvador Perez, and that's because he mm-hmm. hit like three forty. Um, so that's inc- insane to think about. He walked forty six times, I think, in sixty games. Um, only like three other players did that in two thousand nineteen in one hundred and sixty two games. Like he does things for this team that's going to be great. Merrifield, Montessi, Salvi, Santana, Soler, Dozier's not a bad one through six. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's basically free in drafts. So what's your takes on Santana, who um, I obviously don't think he's going to be as bad as he was last year? He, I mean, he's, you know, cheesecake on our pie. He's a cheesecake staple. He would take him in every league we're in together. You look at his average, he's a 199 average, but a 349 on base percentage. Like you said, an on-base machine. He ranked in the top 77th percentile whiff percentage top 85th percentile in ex-WOBA, top 93 percentile or 98 percentile and walk percentage. I mean, he's going to get on base. He's a steady Eddie, like you said. Uh, I A 199, I feel like it's got to be his floor. I, I see him bouncing back next year. I don't, I don't see that being him being a sub 200 batting average guy again. And again, I, I just think he's one of those guys, like you said, it's undervalued, underappreciated, but he's going to make that lineup better. And I think you had mentioned too that he might help teach some of those younger Royals when he's, you know, when he's hitting the, uh, the patience process and, and just being able to be a little more patient at the plate. Cause they're a lot of their team with Jorge Soler's and the Whit Mary feels a lot of these guys strike out a lot and mm-hmm. he might provide that presence where, Hey, it's not bad to take a couple more pitches, help kind of them, their approach at the plate and that type of stuff. 
Yeah, and he can even help like those guys that are established hitters, or even go and help you know your your McBrooms and your O'Hearns, the guys that were platooning mm-hmm. at first base who had big holes in their swings. Also, it's just little things on these these rebuilding teams. Go and spend a few bucks. Like he really wasn't that expensive in the grand scheme of things. Fill in for a year or two, teach our kids some stuff. I think I think it's a great move. I was I was really impressed with it because he could have easily gone went and landed like on the Yankees or gone back to the Phillies or somewhere where on paper it looked more offensively good. Like okay, mm-hmm. look at the ballpark. But now he's on a team where he should play every day. Like there's not a question. Like when even when the Encarnacion went to the White Sox last year, there was questions when he played every day because there's so many pieces of the puzzle. So mm-hmm. now you got Santana playing every day in the middle of a lineup that shouldn't be as bad as people make it out to be. Not great, but not as bad. So I like it a lot. Um, the last move we'll talk about, and it's not a final deal, but it was whispered around last week, and it seems like it's pretty close to a done deal. That's James McCann is going to be catching for the New York Mets. Uh, with Wilson Ramos out of town, everybody wanted JT Real Muto. That's not happening. And they're looking like they might give McCann up to four years, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Wow. But um, just real quick, it's not a – Deal. David? Oh, I lost you for a second. Uh, what's your What's your uh, thoughts on McCann going to the Mets? I mean, you said in the beginning that I think this closes the book on JTR, and so Mets fans can kind of get off of that horse because that's not going to happen. But I mean, he's a great pitch framer. He was an All Star a couple of years ago. He's a nice. He's not going to be a flashy presence in their lineup, but he's going to be a steady presence in their lineup. Hit 289 last year, seven home runs, 15 RBIs. Uh, you could do a lot worse than him. So I I think he's a great catcher. I, I Four years, again, is a little mind-boggling to me. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. But uh, no, I, I think it's a, it's a good move from the Mets. I, I would like to see when all the numbers come out and see what they're paying him. But uh, I think it's just at the end of the day, this move just speaks no JTR coming to New York. Mets at least. Oh, Bubba, I lost you again. Are you? Uh... We're back again. I don't know what's <laughs> going on right now. This is awesome. So yeah, just wrap up your JT, uh, your McMahon thought. Yeah, I, I just at the end of the day, I think this is just the end of JTR in New York for the Mets at least. Steady presence in their lineup, seven homers, 15 RBIs at 289 last year. I want to see when the final figures come out, what he's going to be making. Four years, I'm still trying to wrap my, wrap my head around that, honestly. But, um, you know, he's not he's not a bad catcher. And the Mets can use that extra money somewhere else, I guess, at this point. Yeah, they're rumored to go after Springer and some other guys. So that would obviously be a direction to, to move things. But it's, it's odd, to say the least. That kind of surprised me, the four-year aspect. The guy's pretty much platooned for quite some mm-hmm. time. So, all right, let's uh, let's head over to some of your articles you've been working on. you got a series going on there at uh, Fandrax. You have, what, one of these a week, it looks like, two a week? Yeah, I usually do about one a week, and it's uh, a right and wrong series, so I try to paint both sides of the picture of these players and then kind of assess what I think their value is for 2021. Awesome, awesome. It's been a cool series to check out because I, I like the conversation because these are a lot of names that you kind of like scratch your head at and the most recent one you did and it's been a popular name out there the uh, all it's always popular Vla- vladimir garagino vladito is thank, always thank popular. you thank you yes it, it's always pop i feel so weird saying his full name but um vladito has been a very very popular name out there but um you wrote about it and it's interesting because 
You got the side of the spectrum that says he hits the ball on the ground too much. And you got the side of the spectrum where he hits the ball very hard a lot. So eventually it's got to work, right? What did you see when you you dug in on him that you maybe liked or didn't like? And what's your your thoughts on him? Who's Vadito play for? Toronto Blue Jays. No, 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 no. I need I need the way you say it. Oh, the baby Blue Jays. There we go. <laughs> the Vladito baby Blue Jays. Yes. Now, now I can get into the analysis here. <laughs> so, yeah, he definitely hits the ball hard. Had an exit velocity of 92.5, which was top 7% of the league. Uh, so everybody knows he already hits the ball hard. So I don't really need to, to dig into that too much. Doesn't have a great launch angle. Um, which he needs to improve on. His launch angle was actually under five last year. So that's part of what's parlaying into his ground ball. But I think the big topic everybody's talking about is his weight. And people are like, oh, he lost a bunch of weight. Does that actually correlate to anything? Or it's like, oh, he could always gain the weight back if, you know, once the, the offseason kind of lags a little bit. So I want to kind of clear something up just from doing an article on him and for what I found. He ballooned up to 282 at the start of summer camp last year. And what seems to me the bigger change in his mindset than his or in his weight is his mindset. I think he was looking, he pretty much came out there and said the success of Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis, he wanted that. He wanted the type of success that those guys, his peers were having. And he realized he couldn't just rely on his God-given talent. So he lost that weight, the 40 pounds that he's lost. It wasn't all since the offseason has begun. He, that was all throughout the season. And if you look at how last season progressed, he started the first 21 games. He slashed 222, 292, 383, four doubles, three homers, and left a lot to be desired. But if you look over the last 39 contests, as he was continually losing the weight, he hit 286, 351, 507, slashed nine doubles, two triples, and six homers. Triples stand out to me there because he's legging out triples, which I don't know he would have been able to do beginning of the season. And he talked about how as the season went on, his swing in the beginning was really slow. But once he dropped the 20 pounds throughout the season, his body felt much better. His hands felt quicker. And I put a, a GIF breakdown kind of, you can see the differences in his swing from opening day to the end of the season. And I think one of the people, things people are forgetting is his increased athleticism is going to allow his swing for to have more plate coverage, adjustability, and bat speed, and also give that same power and force. So I, I honestly really think... People talk about are we what are we going to see from this weight loss? You kind of already saw the progress uh, of, of what this weight loss was doing. As again, it was more of a gradual thing. So I think the big thing is he again will have to put the ball in the air a little bit more. I'm, I'm looking for him to start hopefully doing that. But I, I think the combination of him seeing the success of his peers and him actually having the losing the weight to stay more athletic, I think are going to be really good for Vlad come 2021. Yeah, I hope so. I really do. And are you are you as concerned about the ground ball thing as everybody else is? So the one thing I'm I'll, the one concern I will will say is I heard on uh, the CBS Sports Pod. Well, Ronald Brooks actually talked about it, and he said that um, apparently that Vlad's like uh, their hitting coach Dante Bichette, who is obviously Bo's Bichette's dad, or he he works with the team. Um, basically said he tried to talk about changing Vlad's launch angle and that it didn't correlate very well and that Vlad was kind of adjusting his swing too much to where it wasn't being him. So that, that part does concern me a little bit. Um, but I, I think, honestly, one of the things going through Vlad's profile that I think will will help is I think his defense took a toll on his approach at the plate. And I think 
You look at Albert Pujols, it took four years to settle into his position at first base and six years for Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera was a horrible third baseman, settled in at first base, and then both of them are now Hall of Famers, obviously. So I, I think him moving all over the infield and and kind of having dealing with that mental aspect that he was dealing with, with how bad his defense was, I think once he's able to just focus on the plate, I think he is going to be able to change that launch angle just naturally. I think he's going to be able to start elevating the ball more. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Like I think I said on our first base pod preview that I love Vlad. I really want to play Vlad. I don't know if I can pay the price tag for Vlad, mm-hmm. but one of these years he's going to do it, and I'm going to bang my head against the wall saying, why didn't I do it? But he's also one of those guys where I say, this is where DFS is great because I can still play him whenever <laughs> I want, and I don't have to stress out about it. So it's kind of the yin and the yang. Of the it's situation. the FOMO factor too. That plays a real thing. Oh, because I already know how it's going to be. Like if, if I don't have him on any season-long teams and he has like a three-week stretch or something not on my roster – it's going to be miserable. Like we're going to enjoy it, but it's going to be like, oh, I've been claiming the baby Blue Jays forever. Because that means if he's doing well, then Bo Bichette's doing well. That means the Oscar. It's just going to be this whole <laughs> domino effect of me just singing Oh Canada and not enjoying life. So it's going to be so much fun. Um, let's talk about a picture for the Baltimore Orioles now. And this is a tricky one because we've dug in on his numbers and there's so much to like. And then there's also so many situations where he goes full Matt Boyd on us and gives up home runs like it's no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's John Means, where the talent level's great. Alex Fast lets us know every start how good he is. And yet, it's in Baltimore, and he's in the AL East, and it's terrifying at every moment. So what did you find when you dug in on him? So John Means, the big thing with him was his fastball velocity. Well, all his velocity actually on his pitches went up, but his fastball velocity went up from 91.7 to 93.8 from 2019 to 2020. And that was apparently he was throwing baseballs in his against mattresses in his garage all off season, which was apparently that was what helped spike his velocity. But his spin rate also went up and ranked in the 88th percentile in Major League Baseball in 2020. And if you look at into his Statcast profile, he only used the fastball one and a half percent more this year, but all his expected stats cut in half just from that those changes to his fastball. Also got a 10 percent increase in whiff percentage on that pitch. The other big thing he did was he increased his curveball usage, and that also really helped balance out the effectiveness of his fastball. He doubled the usage of his curveball this year, and that, I think, helped transform his arsenal completely. But one of the things that John Means doesn't walk hitters. He has a a walk percentage of 4% this year. So you know John Means that that's one great part of his game. But he also did really well with staying in the zone, had a career-high 50% zone percentage. So I think he's building a strong presence of pitching in the zone. And that plays also with the fact that his his first pitch strikes were also a career high this year as well. So I think he's learning to use the zone a little bit better and knowing how to kind of dot where he wants to throw and keeping hitters off balance. But with John Means, the thing that that people come to mind is he's a Jekyll and a Hyde kind of, right? Mm -hmm. And you look last year, great first half was an all-star uh, and then the second half completely tailed off this year. You know, I do preface that he was the open day starter, went on the aisle with arm fatigue, then lost his father, Alan to pancreatic cancer, and then transferred to the bereavement list uh, in the aisle while doing intake testing for COVID-19. So I, you could argue that that might've played a part with his rough first half, yeah. but I mean, you look again further into it and, uh, 
it's it's again you get half two halves for the same guy for both seasons so i'm a little worried is he going to be consistent for a full year next year um but that that's the part that i'm wondering because when he's off he's like a pinata like everybody is hitting off the john means t it is not pretty at all gets hit he averaged uh 10.1 hits per game through august 28th of this year opponents were hitting 271 off of him and in the second half he cut that down to 6.2 and opponents batting average dropped to 190. So I, I think ultimately if he commands his breaking balls and his uh, fastballs and uh, learns to kind of keep the ball away from hitters, sweet spots, I think he's going to be okay. And he's the 85th pitcher off the board with a 232 ADP. So I think that's actually a steal for his value. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. Like it's scary. Like it, it gets warm and in Baltimore and Camden Yards and that ball gets a flying and mm-hmm. the Yankees and Red Sox are in town for a two star week. Like it, it's it feels like you're in Coors Field. It's a terrifying situation going in there. But we've seen him dominate those teams at times still. Like you mentioned it when he, the pitch mix changes, he basically built his own driveline in his garage. Um, just little little tweaks like that could go a long, long ways. You wonder if he makes another adjustment this year. Like, does he keep improving things to go to the next step? Mm-hmm. I agree. The, the things he went through this past year can't be good. That couldn't have helped the situation at all. So it's going to be real interesting to see where he comes from. Uh, you bring a lot of great information. I trust guys like Alex Fast, who basically lives and breathes pitching and, blue, <laughs> and, and Orioles. So I, I kind of see where he's coming from. And there's other very, very intelligent people that have are on the John Means wagon. So it's hard not to enjoy that price tag. I'm with we you just- there. It's just tough. Yeah, we had Nick Pollock on our show last week, and he told uh, when I, his name came up, he was like glowing about him, and that, and that also made me feel pretty good about yeah. kind of getting on that John Means train. The one thing I'll say, and I love Nick and and uh, Alex; they've been on the show. We talk a lot off <laughs> off off the show, like we're buddies. The one thing I'll say. They gloat about Matthew Boyd too. That's very true. So <laughs> I got all I'm gonna say because hey, I've made a lot of bad calls too. We have those. That's part of the deal. I get it. But I gotta point that out. <laughs> that Matthew Boyd one, the Boyd boys, like those t-shirts are in Africa next to the Super Bowl <laughs> champion t-shirts right now. So <laughs> it's it's tricky right now. But um, I give them a hard time about that all the time. I'm like, well, at least you guys couldn't get everything right. You win the podcast, you know, tournament and all these other things. You can't have everything, okay? Just give us something. But, um, yeah, John Means, very interested there. Let's go to first base on a very fun San Diego Padres team, and it's, you know, not the flashy young players there. It's it's Eric Hosmer, who everyone said was overpaid when they signed him, and mm-hmm. probably was, probably was. But uh, we thought last year he figured out what the launch angle was. That was amazing. Like, if you ever just want to laugh at something – you go to Yandy Diaz's page and a few other guys, but Eric Hosmer is like the king of how many ground balls can I hit in a season? How mm-hmm. can I have a negative launch angle? This is what he does. And it changed last year and everything changed with it. Uh, and then he got hurt. So what's your takes on uh, Eric Hosmer for 2021 with the adjustments he may have made last season? So like you said, one of the biggest holes in his game was he did not put the ball in the air. He had a 56% or higher ground ball rate since 2016. Not very productive. Somehow still hit 99 RBIs the year before last, so that was pretty impressive. But I think he finally stopped being stubborn and then took on the change in approach and realized what the game is kind of changing around him. So he not only cut nearly 13% off his ground ball rate in 2020, but he upped his line drive rate to a career best 30%. And this was the biggest reason he had an over 30 home run pace. And he actually had never hit more than 25 in his career in a season. So I think that also tied into him pulling the ball a little bit more. It was the highest percentage of pulled balls in his career. 
but he looked like he was overall more comfortable approach at the plate, honestly. But when you kind of look under the hood and you see kind of the more, if you analytics matches production, you look first, I saw his bad bit was the lowest it's been since 2012. So his stats could have been even better if they had been closer to in line with his bad has been the last five, six, seven years had a WRC plus of 127, which was the second highest of his career and had a career high exit velocity of 91 miles an hour and career high hard pit percentage. I mean, everything barrel percentage all across the board. But uh, one of the, again, the key things I looked at, I think biggest thing in his profile, lowered his K percentage for the first time in three years and had the biggest jump in O contact percentage, which was 69.5% or nearly 20% higher than his 2019 numbers, which is a huge jump. Wow. So I, I liked the fact that he changed all that in his profile. When you draft Eric Hosmer, though, you have to look. He does not walk. His walk rates have gone down each of the last four years from up at 9.8 to 9.2, and then the last two years, 6%, and then 5.8%. And then if you look a little bit further, you see, and I've seen this mentioned before, his season-long line looks decent, but if you kind of break it down, up until his last 12 games, he was great. But if you look at his last 12 games, regular season games, 44 at-bats, he hit 204 with one homer, seven RBIs, and I know the injury probably played a factor into that. But then that carried into the playoffs, his last 25 at-bats in the playoffs, 160 average, one homer, four RBIs. That's 18 games of data out of Hosmer's 38 games played, which is 41% of his season. So you have to kind of decide in this small sample size where those changes something that was going to last because his ground ball rate actually started rising back up at the end of 2020. Again, is that the injury? Uh, you could maybe say that's part of it. I'm not sure, but I'm a little concerned over the consistency in his profile. He's the 15th first baseman off the board at pick 137. So that seems like a fair price for him. I don't think that's that's doesn't scare me that price, but I, I'm not like overly excited about him, but he's someone that if I'm skipping out on the first base position, I'll take later on, just kind of plug it in and go on with my draft. Yeah, it's it's tough because you mentioned the good and the bad there, and the end of the season definitely did not bode well for Eric Hosmer, and you think it would have affected his draft price, but you mentioned 15 first baseman. Um, you know, last year he was kind of like the Carlos Santana of drafts where it's Hey, I can get him late if I need a quarter infield. That's, you know, pretty steady line, 20 ish home runs, 80 80, hit 270 to 280. It's going to do the good things for me, but not be flashy. Now you got to pay for him this year. So it gets a little more, you know, difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about another guy later, but just for fun, would you go either go Eric Hosmer or Reese Hoskins, who's going like 20 picks later? I'm probably, I'm probably going to go Hosmer just for the fact of one. Hoskins injury kind of scares me a little bit too. I don't think he has much job security with the Phillies. What about Hosmer or Christian Walker about 30 picks later? Mm, That's getting juicy. Uh, I'll probably take the discount of Christian Walker later on. I have, I always have to ask Walker. I'm a big Walker Homer just because it's price tag to me for what he can do. He's lost and done it Mm -hmm. yet. It's intriguing to me. So I always have to throw that one out there. Let's go to my guys out at the Bay, the Giants, Kevin Gossman, outstanding. Like when they signed him, I, I loved the deal. I wanted him to be our closer because he showed such great stuff out of the pen with the Reds. And then they made him a starter and I was nervous, but it turned out to be pretty good. Now he's going to be back. Do you think this is a good or a bad thing? Like what are you, everyone's moving him up boards. Like they got him as a big time, top 30, top 40 type pitcher when he's never really been there in a long time. So what's your thoughts? 
I have to get my peepers on for this one, Bubba. He's <laughs> this guy is just unbelievable. Um, and I'm glad I'm sure you're glad he plays for your team because we got to start with that nasty split finger. Began uh, when he actually was in the Cincinnati bullpen. He retooled it as his go-to off-speed pitch. And in 2020, that splitter recorded a 123 XBA, a 196 X slug, and 150 X WOBA. And it had a 79-mile-an-hour exit velocity off of it. So he paired that with a 45% whiff rate and 32.5% CSW. And looking further into it, one of the big reasons it became so effective is he added a vertical depth of a about 0.9 inches drop above average to it. And you look at his ERA last year, he had a 3.62 ERA. But if you look at the advanced stats, 2.96 FIP, which is actually eighth best in baseball, minimum 50 innings pitch, only behind Garrett Cole, Bauer, um, and Kershaw as far as big names. There are a couple other guys in there as well. But his Sierra was also lower than his normal ERA at 3.24. And, I mean, he's just... He's incredibly nasty. Looking at all his peripherals, his whiff rates, I mean, nothing is sexier than looking at a guy's whiff rates. And nothing. <laughs> and, I mean, 12.4K for nine, fourth in all of baseball, his 15.7% swing and miss rate, ranked fifth in baseball, career-high strikeout percentage, 32.2%. Uh, the biggest change in his profile I saw was his O-contact his O contact was the third best in baseball at 47.2%, which is only behind Jacob DeGrom and Shane Bieber. That doesn't suck. Yeah, so he he was limiting. The, the contact outside the zone was so limited. I mean, guys weren't hitting anything outside the zone on him. And, I mean, it, the other thing that I, I couldn't find a lot wrong. When I wrote this piece, it was a struggle to find stuff wrong with him because I looked at his splits, which was another thing. I'm like, okay, is, would they struggle in the split area. But – 409 ERA at Oracle Park, and then he had 304 ERA everywhere else. <laughs> and so, I mean, you look at the batter's handiness, and he played in the NL West, which was such a lefty-handed, like a left-handed heavy division. He actually faced more left-handed batters than right-handed batters, but it was actually very close: 115 lefties versus 111 righties. He allowed half his home runs to each side of the plate, struck out 39 lefties compared to 40 righties. His averages against were 217 against lefties, 225 versus righties. And his numbers through the order were 182 first time, 258 second time, and 237 third time. So he's just incredibly consistent. This guy, I mean, he's Bubba. I, I like, I want to be different when, when everybody's talking about how great he is, but I, I really could not find too much about him, honestly. Yeah, that, that's what scares me. Like, I have him as my 51st uh, starting pitcher, and I think it's just because I'm scared to have him higher as a Giants fan. Like, everything you say screams amazing. Um, he's going much higher than that in drafts. I've had already people go, well, in my first release of rankings, 1 through 50, like, where's Kevin Gosman? I'm like, he's coming. Trust me, he's right there. But, um, yeah, man, he's so good. So good. I'm just waiting for that other shoe to drop because Giants can't have nice things like that. And not <laughs> when it comes to starting pitching, not unless they develop them from their own system. It's just not allowed to happen. So we'll I am like, I've always been the type of person, maybe I'll change this year where someone has a breakout like that and their price shoots up incredibly high. Yeah. I'm almost kind of like, let me see it again. Yep. And then I'll draft you at your price tag. Cause you're already, your price tag is already uncomfortably high, but he might be somebody that, I may break that rule with, but I, I generally that's kind of how I draft. I don't know if you're kind of the same way in no, that sense. It's, 
it's a good point. It's exactly how I am. It's like the whole thing, don't pay for their career season. Like, and that's what mm-hmm. you're doing with the Kevin Gossman. And it, it really stinks because if I go back and look at drafts for years when he was like with the Orioles, I would always take him late because I always thought there was something there with Gossman and it never worked. Just so like Dylan Bundy and here we are again. Mm-hmm. It's just a get him out of Baltimore. Sorry, Alex, yep. but that's just how it works. <laughs> um, so trade John Means. But this is just how it's going. And um, I'm with you. It's hard for me to pay that price knowing in the back of my head what the price used to be, but maybe he's worth it. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And and then pitching an Oracle is never going to stink. I don't care if it was livelier last year than it was before. If they ever do get fans back in the stands, they'll open up the, the breezeway and that's going to change things again. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but uh, let's stay in the NL West and let's talk about a pitcher that I will not draft at all. I won't, <laughs> I don't care if you convince me right now and sorry, Doug Ishikawa, you're not changing my mind. You're on your own <laughs> Island on this one, buddy. Unless Mindy wants to come join you here. But uh, talk to me about the Nelson Lamette, the guy that until he establishes a third pitch, I have nothing to do with him. Yeah, I always start with the good. That's the kind of guy I am. But uh, <laughs> I mean, we have to start right off with his slider, right? I mean, that thing is ridiculous. It's, ten hit- it's very good. Yeah, he allowed just 10 hits off of it and 125 at-bats, which was a .80 batting average. XBA supported that as well. And he has good exit velocity off of that, high whiff rate, all great. Carried a 19.7 P-Val and a minus 19 run value, which were both tops in baseball. The he basically, I'm not even going to all the positives of, about the Nelson Lament, honestly. I mean, he's he had great success. Uh, he relied on his slider a lot more than he did before. He upped it 12% and used it 53% of the time last year. And that's a big part because it got even better. He increased the zone rate on his slider and the threat of it being a strike, I think, helped make it even more unhittable. Has elite K percentages, elite O swing percentages. I mean, again, you know what you're getting with Lamette when he's good. Uh, the one thing I will mention that I don't hear a lot about is that his home run per nine had drastically went down this year. He went from 1.42 to 1.48, and this year was 0.65. So he was not letting the ball leave the ballpark. But that's where this train stops, and... Bubba, I'm going to start with this. You know the saying, if you don't use it, you lose it? (laughs) Yes, yes, I've been told that before, yes. So I think that must be the case with his slider since, again, he used it so much. But then you look at someone like a Patrick Corbin who used his slider the next highest amount, which at at 40%. So he used his pitch, his slider, 13 more percent higher than Corbin did at number two. And Corbin's the example of someone that if that pitch isn't working and they rely too much on it, they completely combust. Mm-hmm. And I know we'll talk about Corbin a little bit later, but I don't like when one guy relies on one pitch so much, especially in a full season. And the slider puts a lot of stress on your arm. That's the pitch that usually will let people lead to Tommy John. Um, but at the end of the day, you can look at it. He He's not healthy, Bubba. He's... He already gives you short outings, averages 5.75 innings pitched for uh, this past season and has never pitched six innings per start in his career, three years. Last year, pitched 69 innings, nice. The year before that, 73. year before that, 114. So he's coming off a 69-inning pitch season. Maybe you see a little bit of a bump in his innings, but he's not – I mean, you're lucky if he gives you 150 innings. I would think maybe he's slotted – if he's fully healthy and everything plays out nicely – 120 to 130, but he had that rice, that right bicep injury at the end of 2020. And I kind of researched into, he had some plasma platelet rich plasma injections on his injured elbow. 
And so I was kind of skeptical about this process and I wanted to look a little more into it. And Garrett Richards had something similar done in 2016, ended up having to get Tommy John surgery not too long after that. So I feel like this is delaying the inevitable with Lamette. And he's right now around five pick if you're in a 15 team league in NFBC ADP. That is way too much risk for me. I don't, I mean, maybe if he slipped to round 15, I would take a flyer on him, but I don't see nearly what he is right now being worth the risk at all. Yeah, everyone's got a price. I'll back that up. The Million Dollar Man <laughs> once said it. So it, everyone has a price, but it's tough because I always, you know, I, I do the lazy man approach and just start with the pitch, you know, one pitch basically. I'll give him two. I'll be nice. And it's just tough to maintain that, like you said. But you bring up a really important part is he doesn't go deep into games. And if I'm picking a guy that early in a draft, I want a guy I can at least get a quality start out of, hopefully some wins. And the more in this era of baseball you let the bullpen take over, the more likely they're going to blow that for you. So that's just the way things go these days. And if he's not accumulating innings, he's not getting strikeouts, he's not going to get wins. There's just a lot of factors involved there. And the injury is huge. Like you mentioned, he even was hurt towards the end of last year. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if something happened. So I'm a, I'm on board with all of that for you. I really hope one day we can have a um, an intervention with Doug and uh, help him with this and let him know that uh, Danellison is not the way to go, Doug. Like <laughs> we, can, we can do something different one of these days. It would be very, very good. He'll be taking victory laps for a whole year if Denelson takes uh, if, if he does well, I'll be the first in line to take a slap on the face. It's okay. I'll be right there. You can give it to me all you want. But uh, for now, no. Um, you mentioned Patrick Corbin. We'll just jump to him real quick. And we'll talk about him because, you know, coming off some great years, 200 innings back-to-back years, still did decent innings-wise last year. I remember a lot of the times he'd be pitching really well, and then, like, it must have been a Nationals thing. It's happened to Scherzer, too. He'd stay in the game just a little too long. Mm-hmm. And that would just really ruin things for you because Davey Martinez apparently can't figure out how to use his bullpen or he's scared of veteran pitchers. I don't know which one it is. But um, I give it, I give and, you know, Scherzer, two colored eyes would scare me too once in a while. But it's just, <laughs> it just you know, Corbin's Corbin. Do you, are you interested in Corbin this year? Or are you really concerned? You mentioned the pitch situation. We saw the drop off in strikeouts. What, what are your thoughts on Corbin? Not getting anywhere near him. He's just like a a traffic cone that I'm completely avoiding. Honestly, he's, I mean, he has great control, which is one thing that you can count on him has a low walk rate, but he lost two ticks off his fastball in 2020. Now it's went from a mediocre 90 to a putrid 90 mile an hour pitch. If that stays, that is not going to play his batting average against his fastball went from 232 in 2019 to 407 in 2020. And then you look at his slider, which is his bread and butter. It had a 52% whiff rate in 2019, down to 38% in 2020. The increased use of his slider was the main reason Corbin became that 10K plus per nine guy that kind of elevated in Arizona. And now you look at his case per nine, it's eight. Uh, I mean, exit velocity is bad. He's just, I, I mean, I could not, I, I drafted him on a, a couple of my teams this year as my first pitcher, just because I went hitter over the first couple picks, took him in the third round. And I got to the point where I was like, I can't play him anymore. His last seven starts, zero and six record, 5.06 ERA. He had a whip of point or 1.78. I mean, a whip that was almost two is insane. Over his last 42 innings, gave up 62 hits and 14 walks. I mean, I, I could go on and on, but he was, 
I think out of every single player I wrote, he was the hardest to find any positives about. Everything in his profile is blue. It's a Mr. Freeze. I stay away from the freezes I for the most part. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not touching them. Yeah, it's just hard because he's mainly a one-pitch guy like you mentioned. Uh, you're seeing the strikeout rate drops. So there's more balls in play. There's just so many factors to it. that, And, and I get concerned with a guy where you, he's thrown so many innings lately and it's just one pitch. You mentioned the slider leading to TJ. It's like – is something not right in that arm? Is there a reason we got these situations? You just kind of, kind of wonder. He's getting older, so I don't know. Lots of question marks there. Yeah, a guy I will be staying far, far away from. Uh, Ian Happ is a guy I've always been a huge fan of, and he's finally – he did it a lot last year. He's projected to lead off again this year for the Cubs, a Cubs offense that should be much better next year. They all kind of just pooped the bed this past year. But um, there, there's a lot to like with Happ. You know, he doesn't strike out as – he strikes out a lot, but it's not as much as you might think. He walks a little more. He's got some pop, a little bit of everything with Hap. What did you find when you dug in on Ian Hap? I'm glad we can get away from that storm cloud, Corbin. We can get to someone <laughs> who makes I me. To get a, I wanted to get rid of it at the same time. Like, just get both of them out of the way. <laughs> Let's not end with Corbin. Let's get to someone else. Yeah, happy, like Ian Hap. Yes, so, here we go. Yeah, so, looking first at his fastball improvement on that, he went from batting 171 against it to 305, also went from slugging 402 to 610. He actually decreased his launch angle, which I think helped him a lot because it went from 20 to 22 degrees to 11, which I think helped increase his exit velocity and cut uh, 8% off of his under percentage. So he wasn't popping the ball up quite as much, create a nice solid line drive swing. I also, one of the things I really like about Ian Happ this year is who do the Cubs have in the outfield? They have Jason Hayward locked down in right field with his lead defense. But if you look into it, who else do they have? Kyle Schwarber's not on the team anymore. He's not playing in the outfield. The only two options, if you actually, if you type in on Google outfielders for the Cubs, it's literally Jason Hayward and it's Ian Happ. They're the only two pictures that come up on the page. Roster Resource has David Bote playing left field, which is hilarious to me. Oh my God. So that you look at it, he has to <laughs> really be bad to not play. Even yeah. if he's, even if he regresses some, I mean, the top two options I looked up were, Albert Almora, who went and got designated to the alternative training site last year. And if they tried the Nico Horner experiment in the outfield, I guess, or David Bodie, like, I mean, he's going to get playing time. And then the other big positive for him is he, his case, obviously that was something that was a big problem. He struck out 129 times his rookie year, 167 times his second year. And after that second year, he got sent down. And his last two years, he kind of sneakily did it in 2019, kind of at the tail end, and then kind of did it for most of the full season last year. He maintained that 30 to 35 homer pace that he's good for, but he lowered his 36% strikeout percentage to sub-28 each of the last two seasons. And he also had the second highest walk rate of his career in 2020. So I think he's seeing the ball better at the plate as evidenced by his second lowest chase rate this season. And I think this was probably the most interesting thing I did when I dug on Ian Happ. So September 3rd, 2020, he took a foul ball off his eye. And he did not play the next game. Hit two home runs on September 5th. But when I researched those, those it was a fastball down the middle and a fastball middle in at 93 miles an hour. So they weren't hard to hit pitches if you're a major league. But then if you look after that, and further into his data, and I want to credit Michael Cerami of Bleacher Nation because he actually put these statistics out before and after September 7th. So before September 7th, 163 plate appearances, 304, 420, 659 slash line, 
182 WRC plus 16% walk rate, 23.9% K rate. Great numbers. You look after that 68 plate appearances after he got hit in the eye, he hit 159, 221, 175. He had an 11, just, just 11 WRC plus 5.9% walk rate. K rate went up to 35%. So you look at all his things across the board. They just shot down after that time. Whiff rates went up, lower walk rates, everything. I'm really wondering if that had something to do with his vision being affected at the end of the season. It just wasn't talked about a lot because the the dramatic splits are so different that I, to me, to be able to change from that to that that quickly makes me think that there had to be something else going on there. So I'm not letting that sway me. I think he's actually made a lot of good adjustments. He's going to have a lot of playing time. So I'm all in on Ian Happ next year. Yeah, I, I love that call. I think there's a lot to like there with him. Those changes after the the uh, the eye injury. I remember that foul ball was wild. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's very very interesting too. Pick 164 doesn't stink. Uh, there, there's a lot to like there, and it's, it's crazy. You mentioned the job security. The Cubs struggled offensively last year. I think, like I said, they'll be better. But you know, they got Bodie and Horner starting in left field and second base in the starting lineup. Projected the bench. Victor Caratini, who I can dig, mm-hmm. but then Max Schrock, um, <laughs> Ildemore Vargas, Michael Hermosillo, and Ian Miller. Yeah, they got oh, wow. some questions in Chicago. That's all I'm going to say on that one. Um, let's go. We'll stay in the Central, and we'll go to the Milwaukee Brewers, and we'll talk Keston here because this is a guy that it's hard for me to quit, but it's hard for me to draft at the same time. Because the power is insane. Look at the hard hit rate. It's always great. The strikeout rate's ridiculous. The swing and miss rate, even on a fastball, is horrible. Mm-hmm. When you dug in on Keston Hira, what did you see? Are you in or are you out? Keston Hira is like that drug that you can't quit. It, it honestly is. He's played So he's played 143 games across two seasons. So he's almost a full season worth of data on him. And it's safe to say he knows how to barrel the ball. Top 8%. Uh, in the league in 2019, top 9% in 2020. You know, barreling the ball is extremely important, which means you're hitting the ball 98 miles an hour or over off the bat. Great for home runs, fly balls, if you have the right launch angle. And I think it's great he has this skill at such a young age. Ties in well to his home run power, actually, because he was only one of five second basemen to reach double-digit homers in 2020. And he only trails Jose Altuve, Ruf Neto Dor, and Ozzy Albies for home runs for second baseman since the start of 2019. So you know when you draft him at second base a position that's very scarce, he's going to give you a lot of power. But like you said, Bobby, it gets pretty ugly after that. Putrid strikeout rate, 30.7% in 2019, bottom 4% in the league. It went up in 2020. It went up to nearly 35%. You would like to see as hitters see more and more big league pitching that that number either stabilize or go down. You don't like to see it jump up nearly 5%. And uh, it's very troubling to me. You also look at the negative trend of the ball coming off the bat. His exit velocity, launch angle, sweet spot percentage all took big hits in 2020. All his actual and expected batting stats all took major nosedives. And it kind of had me curious. I looked at his 2019 expected stats and they were actually showing a lot of regression in his profile. So I think he overperformed his stats in 2019, and that played out in 2020 a little bit more drastically than I think a lot of people thought, but it looked really bad. And uh, he's 
not even putting the ball in the air because his fly ball rate went down 6% last year and his ground ball weight rate went up 6%. So if that keeps coinciding where his ground ball rate's going up, fly ball rate's going down, he's not even going to be hitting for homers anymore. Right now, he's the fifth second baseman off the board in NFBC ADP. That's just way too rich for my blood. I will gladly wait. Looking uh, quickly at, at NFBC, I'm just like searching here. I think there's second baseman. I think Brandon Lau's going after him. I would rather have a little bit more of a discount. Ketel uh, Marte, I would rather have. I would rather have Jeff McNeil. I, I would take the 10th ranked Jose Altuve over him. I mean, it, I, I can't spend a top. 66 pick which is adp right now on him right now personally yeah all those guys you mentioned i'd be on board with uh even later like a jake cronenworth tommy edmund Mm -hmm. like it just sucks because he is that drug you just can't quit because the talent's (laughs) there like i I remember back when he was i believe it was was santa barbara no irvine it was was santa barbara maybe he was in the, the, the the big west out here playing baseball and he was literally one of the top offensive players in the nation the batting average was through the roof. That's why he was drafted so high. You look at his minor league numbers, even his his first year with the Brewers, great batting average. Like last year, just the drop off in batting average was crazy. The average, the strikeout rate going up the last couple of years was crazy. Um, but even Steamer, 255, 30, and 11, like those are pretty good numbers <laughs> at, a, at a very bad position. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't drafted him anywhere because of the reasons you mentioned. And I, I could see later options I like and where you're taking them. Maybe you take another pitcher or things along those lines. So it's tricky, but man, I just know it. Like we said it with Vlad here is going to do it again. Eventually it's going mm-hmm. to happen and it's going to really suck when he's not on my rock. Cause it, it will happen. It's just price point wise is tough. Um, the next guy on the list, we're going to save to the end. So we have something really good to talk about, <laughs> but um, cause I, I think I'm pretty sure we're on the same page there. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go Zach Wheeler. And this one bugs me a lot because former Giants pitching prospect, we traded him for a couple months of uh, Carlos Beltran. What a great trade that was. Um, yeah, it doesn't suck at all. But um, <laughs> he's been good. First year at the Phillies wasn't like lights out, but still very serviceable. Like the the, the ratios were great. Strikeout rate dropped. Um, there's question marks there. Are you in? Are you out on uh, Zach Wheeler after what you looked at? Zach Wheeler, to me, he is what he is, kind of. He You look at him right now. Drastically decreased his launch angle, career best 3.8 degree launch angle, which is almost nine degrees lower than the year before. So he's not putting the ball in the air at all. Yeah, Eric which, Cosmer says, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> he's the uh, Eric Cosmer pitcher. So it's actually a good thing in that case. But yeah, he only allowed three home runs the entire year. And ground ball percentage was up 12% to nearly 56% this year. He was able to limit hard contact. Exit velocity was elite. Uh, top 10% profile as far as um, the sweep spot percentage, X-Log, all that type of stuff. The evolution of his sinker, I think, is what helped with this. Approximately used it 23.7% of the time, uh, and which I think helped keep the ball on the ground a little bit more. But uh, he honestly, I mean, you look across the board, decrease in batting average against, decrease in slugging percentage, everything like that. I think he really learned a good pitch mix to help keep hitters more off balance this year. But what I think that also that sinker usage did the increase in it was it didn't allow him to strike out any guys. Cause I think that was the one thing when you looked at Zach Wheeler's profile, you're like, okay, huh? Like his numbers are, aren't bad, but he's not striking guys out. And I just, with Zach Wheeler, 
he was the type of guy that, you know, was a K per nine type of guy. And I would like to see that from him in the future. I, I love the numbers I'm seeing. And if he can keep that up, that's great. And I, I would love to draft him as a mid rotation arm, but if he doesn't have that K upside, I don't like him as much of a, a high end two as I think he could have potentially have been before. I view him as more of a, a three or four where I'd be drafting kind of a mid rotation arm. If he gets that elite K upside back, I think I could buy back in, but I mean, his ADP wasn't ridiculously crazy when I looked at it. So I, I mean, I'm, ha- I'm happy to plug him in as a mid rotation guy, but uh, not more excited than that personally. Yeah. And that's the thing with me, with me, it's kind of tough because I don't mind his price tag of round pick 88 or 90, 32nd pitcher off the board, but like Framber Valdez going a little before him. I like mm-hmm. to take the chance there. Um, after him, you got guys like Kyle Hendricks who always, you know, you steady Eddie that you know what you're getting. It, it's tricky, but I, I think Wheeler, if he can figure out how to get the strikeouts back up, could be be pretty nice. So it, it's, it's a tricky one with Zach Wheeler. Uh, let's stay with the fight in Phillies. You kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast when you mentioned Reese Hoskins' name with Eric Hosmer. Mm-hmm. You know, Reese had his surgery. Um, he's just been a, a predicament of a guy. He walks a ton. Batting average is always kind of skeptical. He's got some power very little speed plays for the Phillies. Uh, what did you find digging in on him? Because he's a guy that always uh, gets me scratching my head in the preseason. So like you said, one thing we've been able to always count on him is his elite walk rate top uh, 2% in the league in 2019, top 7% in 2020 through 41 games this year that he played before he was out for the year. Seemed to figure out how to hit the ball hard and with some authority. He was a 93% in barrel percentage and, uh, which was the highest of his career, increases launch angle, his sweet spot percentage, X slug, hard hit percentages. He also improved versus breaking balls and off speed pitches, which were a bugaboo. He had severely struggled with in the past. But man, Bubba, he he's a stinky batting average guy, like super stinky. He had uh I mean he was streaky at best, honestly, but if you look at his batting averages over the last three seasons, 246, 226, 245, and I mean, I know we're in an age where batting averages are kind of going down for the most part, but someone like with Reese Hoskins, who's not consistently giving you 30 home run pop, I don't love to see those batting averages. Hoskins also struggled versus the fastball mightily through most of the season. At one point, it was at 150, I think, about the midway point in the season. He did rectify that a little bit towards the end. His whiff percentage jumped up almost 8% against the fastball. And I look at his fly ball rate, the average fly ball rate in the league is around 35%. Reese Hoskins had a below average fly ball rate at 32.4%. And he made up for it because he excelled in home run to fly ball rate at 14.3%, which is higher than the league average at that. So can you rely on him maintaining a higher home run fly ball percentage with his league, league below average fly ball rate? I don't like to necessarily rely on that. Um, he's decreased his fly ball rate every year he's been in the big leagues. So if you combine that, combine the surgery, combine the streakiness, his inconsistencies, and then you also look, they have a young budding star in Alec Bohm, who impressed in his rookie season, uh, hit 338, four homers, 23 RBI. You also have Segura and Kangaroo, who are also options on the infield. I wouldn't be surprised to see that they could play some first base So if he struggles, I don't see them having a long leash for him, and I'm kind of out on Reese Hoskins. Yeah, he's a guy that I I want to buy in on. His numbers last year kind of resemble that big uh, 2018 season. So, And his price tag is a lot cheaper than it's been in recent years. (laughs) Excuse me. But um, 
Yeah, there, there's still the, the batting average asset really, really stinks. Like if he gets 250, I guess I can live with it if he gets me 30 plus homers. But there are question marks there. Like you said, it's it's tricky. I think the best appeal for me this year is his price point as like the 18th first baseman off the board becomes a little more interesting than it has in recent years. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy I could see myself landing in a few spots, not targeting him, but just kind of guys fall and do things differently. But I, I agree with what you mentioned. It, it is a, a profile that leaves a lot of questions uh, when, when you look at it. It doesn't make you feel all warm and fuzzy when you draft him. <laughs> a guy that makes you warm and fuzzy, though, is the last guy we're going to mention before we do listener questions. And that is the one and only Luis Castillo. The, oh, yes. the just right-handed beauty for the Red Sox. <laughs> just change up from the gods, everything oh, yes. you want. Just just talk to me about Luis Castillo. Oh, I'm going to make sweet Luis Castillo music right here. Uh, so the first thing, obviously, that comes to mind is his silly good changeup. I don't even know if that's a term, but it's, it's definitely silly good. He's had one of the filthiest changes in the game the last few seasons. Remains so in 2020. Had a 170 XBA, 270X slug. Had over a 40% whiff rate. Continued below, uh, low exit velocity, low launch angle off the pitch. He remains it remains his favorite pitch used at 30% of the time, and it continues to be extremely effective. Um, I think he should continue to produce ace-like results with it. If there's a poster boy for someone who might have suffered from bad luck and his stats looking a lot better, I think it, he's literally the definition in the dictionary. Um, Luis Castillo had a 324 or 321 ERA. His expected ERA was 304. His expected batting averages on his top two pitches were at least 35 points lower than his actual batting averages. Also 88 points lower than his slugging percentages. His ex FIP was 282. He upped his strikeout percentage to a career high 30.5% in 2020. The second lowest walk rate of his career case per nine jumped up to over 11 per nine for the first time in his career walks barely over three. Uh, I mean, he's just, just beauty. It's, it's just looking at his profile. I, I feel bad because I feel he was so unlucky and I drafted, I did an NFBC league this year, a qualifier. And he was my, uh, my first, or I drafted Verlander, but he was my second pick and he, he just got killed from just, he should have had so much regression come his way. Um, to be honest with the only bad things I could find about him was, that his solid contact on balls in play doubled from the previous year. And uh, I would like to, the big thing with him, I think is that his sinker is not a pitch that are fooling hitters. And he uses that actually 25% of the time. So it's actually a pitch he uses a decent amount. He upped it from 4.5% in, in 2019. So I would like him to ditch that and instead flip-flop it with his slider, which produced a 162 XBA. And he threw it 18%. So up that slider usage and decrease a little bit less of that sinker. And I think you're going to be golden. You're already a great weapon. And honestly, definitely a, a top five, six, seven pitcher for me, for sure. Yeah, he's seven pitcher off the board right now. He's he's a, he's a beast. Like, I've got him in a few spots already. I might try to get him. He's a, he's a main target of mine. If you're drafting in the front end of a draft, if you can get him late second round, you're. I think that's a gift if he falls mm-hmm. that far. So. I'm a big fan. I remember I, I mentioned it many times watching him face the Giants uh, two years ago. And I think he walked like eight guys. That's why he only made it like seven innings. But I think he had like a one hitter going or gave up a hit in the seventh. He was striking out everybody. He had like 13 Ks or something. His changeup, I was just so filthy. It was ridiculous the way that thing was was working. If he can just figure out, like you said, a secondary pitch where he doesn't have to get that sinker and get hit around, that'll be tremendous. Keep the walk rate down. 
the guy is, is awesome. So I'm 100% on board with you on that one. You won't be uh, slipping to the second round if Simeon is in your draft. Oh, yeah, not a chance. He might go ahead of Bieber just to, to, <laughs> to the detriment of Dave McDonald. So that'll be fun. Um, let's do a couple of listener questions here. The first one, I believe, is from Doc from at the at Triple Play Fantasy account. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, does the news that the NL probably having no DH in 2021 drastically affect any player rankings? What's your thoughts on that? Because I'm still a believer that we have the DH. I think this is all semantics and a bargaining tool but hey they might not so how are you approaching it 100 percent the same way as you bubba i think it's just a money thing i think the days of pitchers hitting are completely gone i i think whether it's announced tomorrow or whether it's announced in a month i'm i'm fully drafting thinking dh in both leagues i'm not concerned about it at all yep that, that's how i'm doing it the way the reason i keep i, I want to clarify for some the reason why i say it's a bargaining chip because what's going to happen this year unfortunately and I'm a guy that I was a big believer in a season this last year, and it happened. I'm also a realist this year, and I'm concerned there won't be 162 games this year before the fact that the – I think if we like 140 or something, we're going to get a big season. But I think it comes down to negotiations again, and I don't trust these guys to get it done quickly enough to have 162 mm-hmm. games. That's my, my problem. Um, and what it's going to come down to is – the owners are going to use the argument that they don't have fans in the stands, or at least you know half the states or whatever don't have fans in the stands, and so they they're losing money. So blah 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 blah. So they need they need longer postseason again to make the money back, and that's where the kid the players get the DH, and they just do this whole dance. That's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of that happening. And as we've seen with these guys, they like to wait till the last minute to start talking. So <laughs> yes. like they could be doing this right now, but no, we're going to wait until probably February to figure this stuff out and then not finalize it until April or something. So that's where I'm concerned with it. But uh, yeah, they're going to have the DH. I agree um, 100%. Mr. Michael Simeone himself, he says, should I play Mendy in Super Smash with only one arm to give him a fighting chance? Now, those seem like fighting words to me. But uh, the floor is yours if you'd like to talk to Mr. Simeon about this. So, Mike Simeon, I love you. I'm even drinking from your mug as we're recording the show right now. <laughs> but I will crush you like the bug that you are in this game if you attempt to play me. I've had uh, many come at me to say they can beat me just to have their dreams shattered. So once thing, once this pandemic's over, if you want that butt kicking, I will give it to you. It was my fourth best character, but uh, this trash talking, it's going to be all for naught once this actually goes down. Okay. I haven't played Super Smash Brothers in a long time. With all the new technology these days, can you just like stream against each other like now? I'm not sure, actually. That's a, I haven't bought like any of the new game systems. I have still have a GameCube, yeah. but like. Yeah, that's how I am. I, have, I don't have any of the new stuff, so I'd, I'd imagine you could by now, I'm guessing. Because if you could, you guys could use like StreamYard and share the screen and everyone could watch you guys talk trash. Oh, that- that would uh, be fun. Someone put before the show that they said that they should have Doug narrate <laughs> as we're playing. Yeah, there we go. See, this is the kind of stuff we could do and have a lot of fun with it. Oh, yeah. Um, if, if, you know, if the season starts late, we're going to need content like that, so get it ready. We might do a um, Smash tournament or something make it fun. There you go. Um, and as we were recording, we got one more question from at Corbin underscore Young 21. He asks, with AJ Puck supposedly penciled into the A's rotation, what's your expectations for him in 2021? We'll start with that part because I've been torn on him in drafts. I really mm-hmm. have been, but they're saying he's going to pitch. What's your thoughts if he is? Yeah, so I actually I took him in our draft as well in the uh, in the best ball. I mean, he's been such an injury concern his whole career so far. I'm 
I'm okay taking him as a late round flyer because that's pretty much kind of what he is. If his ADP rises up, I might be a little more scared. But right now, I mean, he's, if I look at the NFBC draft position, he's going pretty late. So I'm okay taking him as a flyer. Um, If you have limited amount of bench spots or, you know, not the room to kind of take a gamble on someone like that, then I might, uh, I might be a little more scared to do it. He's the 162nd pitcher off the board, pick 422. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, I, I mean, Garrett Crochet is going in front of him. Garrett Richards is going in front of him. Adam Wainwright's going in front of him. There's a lot of this area just seems like a bunch of gambles to me. Luke Weaver, Alec Mills. I mean, th- this is the area of your draft where you can take guys with upside. And he's one of those guys that with his minor league track record has showed he can be good. So it doesn't cost you. He's a late round flyer. I'm on board with taking the upside pick, AJ Puck. Yeah, I'm with you there. And he has two other questions. Um, what are one or two guys you're in on this year and one or two guys you're out on this year? Okay, that's a good question. Um, that are like not super obvious guys? He didn't specify. So if they're obvious, like if you're your guys, like one of my guys, people are going to know by the end of this, is this draft season, Yohan Moncada. I'm going to try to have him everywhere. So that'll be one of the guys I'm high on this year. So I have a funny one, and then I'll give a, a regular one for the guy I'm in on. I've been drafting a lot of uh, of Kyle Quantrill, okay. and he's somebody that's that's coming at the end of drafts. And yes, his profile is not great, but I really believe in the Cleveland organization, and I think that he may not start out in the rotation, but I could see him kind of being thrust in if they have an injury. And with the pitchers he's going to be working with, it just takes one of them. I've seen, you know, Trevor Bauer showed Sonny Gray uh, hit how he kind of gripped a certain pitch. And Sonny Gray, I think it was his slider, and pretty much Sonny Gray ran with it. So, like, someone shows him a pitch in that organization, and, and that becomes a, a something like a Tyler Molly type of transformation. I could see that from him. So I'm, I'm getting him in a lot of drafts just at the end just for that upside chance. Someone a little bit earlier that I really like, and I'm – kind of scrolling through all the positions here. Um, I, I'm always in, I like the steady guys. I like the guys like the Freddie Freemans. I mean, I know he's one MVP, but you know what you're getting from him. He's, he's as stable as they come, not as much volatility in his profile. Um, but when I draft, I always like to try to, I almost like a Toby approach. I like to get pitchers early. And so I, I've been getting, you know, any of the, the, the Walker Buellers, who I think has been incredibly slept on in some drafts. He's the 18th pitcher off the board or 18th person off the board in NFBC, but I've seen him ranked as low as in the double digits. He's somebody that I love to take as my second or third guy. And, you know, someone like an Aaron Nola, uh, I'm staying away from someone like a, a Max Scherzer for the most part, unless like they completely slip, like in our draft, he, he slipped to the third round. So I was comfortable taking him there, but I, I'm not comfortable with him as like a top two round pick. Yeah, I'm with you. I took him in the third round to the next best ball that I started up. Same same thing. Like I, I wouldn't take him early, but if you fall, you fall. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it there. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. Mankata would be one of my guys for sure. I like the the Quantrill thing. I, I agree with everything you're saying. He's, I was kind of – I grabbed him in a lot of late spots last year, hoping he'd get his chance with the Padres, and he really didn't. So I think the pedigree is there. Just like you said, teach him a thing or two, and it could be interesting. And it'll be fun, you know, this time next year. When Plesak's great, and then Dave McDonald will say Kyle Quantrill's the next guy because he's an Indian. So that, that'll be that'll be the move for him. That'll be the next guy moving up draft board. So get on him early. Good move there. Yeah, it's um, kind of cool too because like everybody, most of the players are talked about. So you're trying to trying to find who you're going to plant a flag on 
I'm not saying it's going to be a strong big flag, but I have like one of those like mini umbrella type of flags. You got like a restaurant, I'll put that yeah. flag on the. You know, you're at an all inclusive and you're, you're, you want your little Mai Tai, so you're, you got it yeah. going. <laughs> Cal Quantrill's my Mai Tai this year. There you go. It's your Mai Tai. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll end it on that one. But, uh, this was awesome. It was, it was great talking to you. You had a lot of awesome information on some players and, uh, some hot stove news before we, uh, we take off. Plug away everything you got going on. Well, I want to thank you first, Bubba. This is absolutely awesome. Someone like myself, I you know, kind of just started out this year, and you sent out the reached out the olive branch to me, extended the olive branch, if you will, and uh, been supporting me, and I've been super appreciative of all your help along the way with everything for myself. Um, so I, I want to thank you for that. But you can find me on Twitter at dmendio2. I post articles, stats. My thoughts are all in there. Follow our show at Trip Play Fantasy. As I said earlier, we uh, we kind of do fantasy analysis, baseball, football, and basketball. We do athlete interviews, questions, and games. Cheesecake and Doc do the baseball show with me. They're fantastic. If you get tired of hearing my voice, they add some humor and, and some differentiation for that. I could not do that without them. And if you want to check out all my written work, it's on Fantrax HQ. All my articles are up there of all these players we talked about from this offseason. And I also still, I haven't done it in a while, but I want to submit a football article. And I do that on Bubba's site at Fantasy Degens. So it's been a little bit, but I still like to contribute to your site too. Uh, you're a busy man. I get it. Uh, there's a lot going on these days. A lot going on. So it's all good. And you got the family affair going on with Triple Play Fantasy. So that's great too. I got that. <laughs> Learn something new every day. It's so much fun. Um, but yeah, go check out all their stuff. It, it, the, the podcasts are great. Uh, Mindy's work is very, very good, as you can tell by the analysis on the podcast. But uh, that'll wrap us up this week. You guys get a rate and review on iTunes. The drawing for the prizes will be on the 15th. It'll start on the 15th. So go check all that out. And uh, you guys have a great weekend. We'll be back with you next week with the Outfield Part 1 preview with Bubba and the Bat Flip. But until then, Bench with Bubba, Episode 327 in the books. Catch you guys later.